my biggest advice for people wondering uh, what to do with the job or the industry next, this is how I kind of came up with that, that equation. I looked at all the things that I liked from my existing occupation and all the things I absolutely hated. And then I went to look for an occupation which would allow me to do more of the things I loved and outsource or do minimally the things that I hated. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Kelly Limmer podcast. I'm your host, business mentor, personal brand and style expert on a personal mission to inspire at least five people a day to take action and do something different. I love hearing that you have done something different. I love hearing on social media when you drop me a message or you tag me in that you were like, love this line or wow, I've actioned this. It really does make my day. And why five people a day? Well, because it has a ripple effect on everyone that you are around, whether that's your family, your friends, your colleagues. So thank you in advance for being one of my five a day. Drop a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't said hi to me on Instagram, please do. I reply to you all and I just love to connect with you. Now, today's guest is someone that I have known for years. I knew Simone when she was living in Dubai. She was working for Virgin Radio at the time, and we hosted a number of events together. And Simone is now living in Singapore. She's a human connection specialist and a former international radio or former international broadcaster for Virgin Radio Dubai, HBO Asia and CNBC. So she's got so much experience around the world as a communicator on air. I remember listening to her on Virgin Radio when she was here in Dubai. She speaks on stage and and has a real kind of one-to-one connection. That's what she feels has been her life's work. So in today's episode, we discuss how your personal brand is your currency to success. Yes, it is. And I loved her take on it. So you have to hear that. And how to build connection. And she talks about the launch of her new book and how to spot when, you know, you've been in a job too long and it's time to move on. So if this is you, join us for this episode. Simone inspires people to connect in a world thirsty for connection. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hi, Simone. Welcome to the show. It's so good that we finally catch up again. It is amazing and so wonderful to see your beautiful face. Thank you. We've been, what is it now? How long since you've left Dubai? I left Dubai at end of 2013, so almost 10 years now. What is it that long ago now? I would have said like five years or something like that. Yeah, I don't know where the time has gone either, but I generally feel that way about time, even in days and months. I'm always like, where has the year gone? How am I 38? What's going on? So true. So Simone and I have known each other, what, so when you first moved here, so we'll be back in like, what, 2008, maybe 2009? November 2008. Was that when we did our first event? 2010, we had our first event, or maybe 11. I met you almost immediately at an event, I think. Well, let's give everyone a little bit of a backstory, because we've had, we've had a a, a very mini catch up with, oh, how's this? And we're going to, oh, Oh, I could talk to you for hours. Let's do a little bit of a backstory, maybe, you know, how we, how we met or what you were doing in Dubai and, and a little bit about where you are, because I have got so many questions. So much has happened to you since we've left. So over to you to do a bit of an intro. Sure. 
So I met Kelly when I was working in Dubai for Virgin Radio. I was an announcer for five years there and doing other projects on the side, always just kind of naturally entrepreneurial, but like finding my feet with it. Didn't want to leave broadcasting, which I should have many years ago. But anyway, met Kelly because we decided to do an event with um, Kelly and another friend of mine. And we wanted to do an event about fashion media because we were all in fashion media and very passionate about the intersection of those two things. And that's how I first got to work with Kelly. I was always amazed at how disciplined she was. And that's one big thing that I have thought about you when you become a business owner. You must have a routine and you must be organized because that your, your livelihood depends on it. And just, you know, loved my time, absolutely loved my time in Dubai. But uh, in 2013, my mom, in the middle of that year, my mom had a kind of life-changing stroke and became paralyzed. And I moved back in December of 2013 to take care of her and also just a lot of the backlog of family stuff associated when somebody in your direct family becomes paralyzed or disabled, differently abled, sorry, because I had already been away before Dubai in Switzerland and Singapore. So I'd been away already for 10 years by that point, And I was 30 years old at that time. So there was a lot of things that I'd left in Australia that needed to be cleared up. So I went back to Australia for one and a half years and then moved to Singapore. And what were you doing in Singapore? You, you still were in the broadcasting space. Yes, I was at the point where I just needed to get out of Australia, you know, after having lived globally. And I think, Kelly, you probably can relate to this. One of your assets becomes that you're a global thinker. So you, you just have this open mindset. And one, Australia is really a market of its own. It's a very small market. It's not the US. It's a small market. And so the really the things that have become what I thought to be my unique selling propositions were not valuable in that environment. So I went back to Australia, was on the radio there as well for one and a half years, but just couldn't live in suburbia and will never live in a high taxation environment. Again, after you live in Dubai, Singapore, taxes are either zero up to 20%. You can't do the high tax anymore. It's, it's a tough and to swallow when you've been used to it for 10 or 15 years. Exactly. And so I um, got a job as a broadcaster here in Singapore and moved out to work for the, num- the Virgin here, the number one station here. So. Yeah, and left that in 2019 to launch my own business. So I did four years of that and then started the business. So tell everyone what your business is now. So I have a, a speaking business and I work both B2B and B2C. So my, the B2B part of my business is largely keynotes. During COVID, did a lot of corporate coaching online via Zoom, but it was really something that I do to save the business. It's not the kind of priority of the business now that stages have gone back. So I, I speak to organizations about the power of human connection and I inspire people to connect. And then I also have for my B2C kind of following a membership called CourageousSpeaking.com where every month I teach a different webinar from the world of professional speaking, from the world of you know, marketing, branding to people on how they can shop better, both in their personal lives and in the boardroom as communicators. And now we're doing physical events for that, which has always been the aim. So we have a couple coming up, which is really exciting. But for the first couple of years of that, it was all just online community building. And that's wonderful. It's not a huge moneymaker for me, but I love the human connection of of creating that community with like-minded people around the same values. And I still do one-on-one coaching, particularly with female coaches who want to become speakers or people from broadcasting who want to become professional speakers. So we work together everything from 
finding your topic to crafting the keynote to getting represented by bureaus and then proliferating that into the world. So yeah, that's kind of the gamut of what I do. I love the variety of it as well. Let's take a little step into that leap of going, right, no, I've had enough of you know broadcasting and I'm going to go and start my business. So what was that like for you? And what was the kind of final, because so many people want to do it. What made you finally do it? And what was that transition like? It was terrifying. I wanted to do it. For, I even wanted to do it in Dubai. And I just could never, you know, being employed never sat well with me. Being my own boss is like to the bones what I was always meant to do. And I think I stayed maybe five years too long. But I was very blessed that the station that I went to work for in Singapore was not a Virgin Radio where Virgin was very creative, very maverick. They allowed us to have a lot of entrepreneurial freedom. It was the opposite here in Singapore. So, you know, we weren't allowed to do anything outside of the station. Anything we did do, they would take a commission. And they were very bad at personal branding and marketing. And that was something that I really came to realize I really loved. So having your brand controlled by people who don't know how to do that well what got very, very frustrating for me. Things like if I posted something on Instagram that they didn't like, I would get, you know, e- borderline abusive emails, ceasing HR, like very controlled. And because my employment pass was tied to that in Singapore, that was a high level of stress there because I needed to stay with that organization to survive. And it got to the point where I was like, I, the stress of this, I cannot take it. And it was the best thing that ever happened because had it been another Virgin Radio with a really good corporate culture, I would never have left. It would have been so cruisy and enjoying the perks of being you know, a local personality and being easily embedded into the city and all of those things. I would never have taken that leap. So I truly believe every experience we're having is the exact experience we're meant to be having at that time. And the leap was terrifying. I remember fantasizing about it late night on the radio. I had these notebooks which I recently found while moving house, you know, mapping out exactly what I would do from the B2C community to the stages I'd be on. And I would visualize down to like what color suit I'd be wearing, you know, everything. And like to know it's now all happened, full-on dream fulfillment is, you know, life-changing. There are two more things that are coming out soon that will literally be everything that I ticked off the list happened in the first three years of the business, including a pandemic. And so now on Thursday, I'm going to go with my girlfriend to the Shangri-La. We're going to goal set for the next five years of like, what is next? But yeah, that it was terrifying and was extremely stressful when the pandemic happened, yeah. but it was the best yeah. thing that ever happened. So if you're listening to this and you're, you full-time employment doesn't float your boat anymore and you want to be able to work from anywhere in the world, do it. You will make, you will find a way to make it happen and survive. There was, a, there was something that you said was really interesting, and I wonder if you can break it down. How do you know when you've been in a job too long? You said, I've been in there five years. Is there a couple of signs that you would be like this, this, and this? I knew I was in it too long. You know, towards the end of Dubai, I already knew because I would stop getting nervous when I was going to do like a hosting gig or something like that. I wouldn't really devote myself to learning my scripts properly. So I knew that um, I was burning out and that I knew that my love for this medium was over. And the second thing was I was looking at kind of the people that were showing up for our events for the Singapore station. And I realized like I didn't really want to be there. And the demographic that was showing up seemed to only show up to get freebies. And they weren't, there was nothing aspirational about being a radio anymore. 
And when a brand is a brand, individual or company or industry is not aspirational anymore, it means that its influence depletes. And I realized a big part of that equation was I wanted to be able to impact people's lives. So if the modality I'm doing it in is no longer aspirational, people no longer want to listen to it, then the influence that I can have in changing and helping people's lives is literally has an expiry date. And that expiry date is coming up very, very soon. So those were the things. And my biggest advice, I'm going to do a video on this tonight. My biggest advice for people wondering uh, what to do with the job or the industry next, this is how I kind of came up with that, that equation. I looked at all the things that I liked from my existing occupation and all the things I absolutely hated. And then I went to look for an occupation which would allow me to do more of the things I loved and outsource or do minimally the things that I hated. And professional speaking, once I joined the Speakers Association and I learned about the industry of it, so not just the content, but how it works as an industry to be a paid thought leader, I was like, oh, this thing ticks almost every box. And I think that's also quite rare. But when you're your own business owner, you can maneuver things around and do more of what you love anyway. And I think that's also why I've been so happy because I get to do the things I like and then outsource things I don't like, which works well. I think that's a great exercise to do, to sit down and like, what do I love doing? What do I don't love doing? So for those listening now, you're not driving, I advise to carry out exactly those steps and see what actually comes out of it. You know, something that I've really admired um, about you, Simone, over the years, before personal brand was a thing, you were already nailing your personal brand here, but even back in 2012, 2013. You too, you too. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the thing, and, and I've, I've loved that. I've seen how it's grown. I feel like I see you, you know, you were talking earlier about TikTok, but I see you really have embraced, you know, LinkedIn, like all the platforms and you do it effortlessly. This is how it comes across. So well done in that perspective. So a couple of things off that, we'll, we'll touch on the social media. When did you realize that your personal brand was so important? I think, interestingly, I didn't realize how important it was when I moved to Dubai. I just was practicing in Dubai what I'd seen people either doing overseas or had come to brush shoulders within Singapore. And I was just trying to bring that to the UAE. Radio presenters didn't even have their own websites. They weren't doing their own stuff at the time. And Virgin Radio gave so much freedom that I had a lot of time to think about it and and just throw stuff against the wall and see how it worked. And then, of course, Facebook came into play. So the advent of social media meant that you could be really proactive. And I've always been a very type A proactive person. So just to give a background that historically in Southeast Asia, before I moved to Dubai, girls who were TV hosts and radio presenters like I were, you were very passive. So you had a management team that would place you in traditional press. And you were there to just be this feminine model of receiving. You wouldn't be aggressive or proactive or receive anything. So I really felt there was no space for me in that industry because I am not like the sit around and wait person. And what I loved about Dubai, it was Kelly, as we talked offline about this, that, that energy that it was okay to be like that. I yeah. loved that. And so I could be like that. And then when I saw the results, like how what you did on social media led to inquiries, a very strong correlation. I was like, this is the ticket to me never having the anxiety of waiting for a phone call again. I can now build and influence my future. 
And I would love to think, like I see a lot of the younger girls now, younger millennials and Gen Y do it so well. And I would like to think I'm the grandma who like Facebook 2000. I'm the great grandma. (laughs) Started seeing how it was possible to change your destiny based on being proactive and advocating for yourself. And now I love that the young girls, they don't have to wait to be featured in FHM or for someone else to think they're pretty enough to put on a magazine cover. You know, Instagram is your own magazine. And so using that space wisely or LinkedIn wisely to brand yourself is completely possible for every single woman who has a dream. I think what a wonderful, what a wonderful way to wake up every morning and go, hey, where do I want my brand to go now? And you'd been building that. So then when you did start your business back in 2019, you know, you had a brand, you had people to communicate to, you had clients, you had all of that. It made all the difference to surviving the pandemic. I had never sold a product to anyone and it had, I'd been building it for, you know, 15 years. I never once sold to them. So when I did, I was able to make a lot of organic sales online without using any ads. And now that I've gotten deeper into that online launch world and realized how ineffective ads are, just makes every bit of blood, sweat and tears, every troll, every single part of putting your neck out there to build a brand online worth it because it actually converts to saving your business money. And that's been really powerful and will not end. We're about to do a big event in August, in-person storytelling I teach people to harvest their story. It's what I have done quite well as a speaker. And it's, you know, we do a whole day harvesting your story. I work with people to create it. And then you learn the story for a week. And the following weekend, we do a glamorous three-course dinner at a five-star restaurant, a private room. And it's like a supper club. Each person gets up to present the story they've spent the week practicing. And so it's like a glamorous Toastmasters. And that's really what I aim to do with courageous speaking. And like, I love this stuff. And now that you have an email list, every business owner, you know, listening to convert your, you know, your following to your email list, and then to just be able to blast things out and sell out an event, that is free money from the sky during a pandemic. That's kind of amazing. All off the back of a personal brand. So your personal brand is your currency. And we've seen girls in Dubai like Huda Katan and um, Supercar Blondie, all girls that I knew do it you know, to a level that completely dwarfs me and makes me look like an ant. But they, they have done it so well and they're proof. You know, and Kelly, you're proof too that this, for the woman who wants to work, this is an incredible way to do it. How is having a personal brand, and I'm, I'm assuming that you can confirm this because Simone's just released a book. And how was that when you know, you're releasing a book? I'd imagine certainly publishers, they want people with a following rather than, hey, I've got this idea. It's, no, this person can also sell books rather than just on a publisher. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think it's now very much infused into the publishing world. It's very much infused into everything. Like it's unbelievable how it's thought of as a marker of confirmed sales or that you, and they look at the quality of your following too. So for example, LinkedIn, where I'm quite active, is considered like the bastion of credibility. And the quality of that audience, because they're working professionals, people, brands know it's going to convert to purchasing of a product because those people are working professionals on that platform versus something sometimes like an Instagram where people don't, you know, they don't know whether that is a bot account or a 
fan account or you know people buy followers you can't do that on a linkedin so it and but email list is a big thing too like when you do a book pitch to a publisher they will ask you for all those numbers in terms of how are you how are you on your side of this contract yeah. going to ship copies yeah and even i've just i have a podcast starting soon it's more like audio documentary with a with a big audio brand and like that i know that that getting commissioned is also part of me being able to funnel audiences to that and the problem i have now is is that there's a lot of different projects and it's getting you know you can't just constantly sell to your following as well so like getting the days of the week and remembering to you know funnel things on this platform so the social media the part that you think is effortless like it's all planned in a calendar i have team members i have also had coaches when i went to transition my brand the minute my business made its money invested into social media coaches and things like that to make sure you know you're doing it the right way there is a way to have a following which i did in my 20s which is based around people like admiring you which doesn't necessarily make them feel connected to you versus being there for your followers and serving them and that's two very different things and when you serve your followers which i think kelly does really well when you serve your followers that's when they convert to customers for a small business mm. and that is also one of your pillars am i right we're going to get into the book talking yeah. about serving yeah so why don't we, we we i think this is a real natural extension into the book what you released why you released it love the title by the way and so timely shall we say and then yeah give a little bit of a sort of a backstory on that sure so uh, i i can't take credit for the title i have a title coach you know the published like publishing people have like everybody so and that's just on a side note for anyone listening who wants to become better at anything just get a coach in everything i have a coach for every part of my body so just get a coach in anything you want to learn every part um, of your body i want to know more every from my like from my nutrition to like my clothing like everything to my content like everything so the book you know part of being a thought leader or a speaker is that you should have a book and i've read almost every human connection book possible in the first year of the pandemic and i realized like all of these connection books they are incredible at sharing with me the science and tips and things but no one made me feel more connected and i realized like if i write a, my very first book on human connection because there will be more books that i want people to feel less alone in the act of reading it and that's really at the heart of secret pandemic and it's very vulnerable it's very raw it's very story driven there is a lot of science in it and there is also action points but it couldn't be overly prescriptive and i made a pact with myself that i would finish this book and it would be on shelves before singapore went back to normal life and we got it just in on on shelves in march and then you know now our city's just opened up in april so that was a wonderful it was a lot of i put a lot of pressure on myself most people don't finish their you know i think i wrote the book in 4 weeks the research was years long that's mm. what people don't realize yes you can write a book in 4 weeks but the research goes forever and luckily i had done keynotes so i kind of had a lot of content that forms chapters in the book from speeches and then you know, the publishing process part of it and the marketing part is also so within about 15 months from start to finish we got it done and it's it's just the gift that keeps on giving it was such a risky book i never thought that 
it would do as well as it did. Like, of course, you hope. But I was really scared that Singaporeans, that there would be a backlash because I do speak in the book on behalf of our culture almost. And I don't sound Singaporean, as you can hear. And I hold a passport from Australia, even though my parents are Singaporean and I was born in Singapore and I now live here. But, I, but what's happened is Singaporeans have read it and not one of them has said, like, if you read the experiences of the trauma that I've had in the book, they're very uniquely Singaporean or Asian things. So it didn't it didn't have the backlash that I thought it would have, which is, has been just super wonderful. Yeah. I wanted to, to highlight a couple of the, because you talk about the pillars of the secret pandemic being loneliness and people mm-hmm. have, have lost the ability to be able to connect, you know? And, you know, again, I, I guess this was even more apparent during the pandemic that everyone went through of loneliness. Do you want to share a couple of those pillars that you, you know, you talk about in the book, you've talked about in your keynotes um, that can help someone who is maybe feeling lonely or who can make a change on that. Yes. So these are exactly, these are the, the, I've actually got five pillars now that make us feel more socially connected. Mm -hmm. So the first one is rapport. So rapport is what we use when we initially meet someone and it is powerful, natural human connectors do this. Kelly and I actually, we had this moment immediately getting on this call talking about a hair we've both had pixie crops and bobs before <laughs> we're the complete now. opposite now because yeah. when, when we and last was, met I was pixie and uh, Simone was bob. bob so it's a very good example of when you first meet someone you wouldn't immediately be vulnerable with them in fact that would repel the kind of connection you're trying to make and it's a mistake I used to make a lot in the past because as a radio broadcaster you're incentivized to share about your life and it actually repelled the exact connection that I wanted so it's something that I really learned, you know, rapport is where other people perceive us to be more like them because you're changing your communication to show them how you are alike. And that's powerful in a polarized world to walk around with a hat of how you're more alike with people than how you're different. So that's pillar one. The next thing I look at is commonalities connect. So in Kelly and my case, we both love fashion and personal branding. That would be if I was stopping through Dubai and we had a glass of champagne together, we would connect on that. For sure. So that's bringing people deeper into the process of connection. The third pillar, then we would go into vulnerability. Kelly and I actually did a little bit of that too. We talked about our relationships. And so this is where you would disclose things that are are deeper than what the person would have originally known. Human connection, vulnerability is the part that makes human connection human because we are all flawed and vulnerability is almost accentuate, not accentuating, but sharing about the parts of your life or the things of your life that aren't perfect. And in an era where AI and the metaverse and everything is is getting more, is literally at our doorstep. And for Gen Z, it's already part of their reality. You know, the parts of us that are imperfect and human are going to be more and more powerful to connect with people. So that's the next pillar. And then the last one that I talk about is service. Mm. And walking through the world with this mindset of like, how, how can I help you? An others-driven mindset in a self-driven world is extremely powerful, will make you very, very memorable. Like, how can I help you? This is something when I was younger, I didn't really think about. Because I think when you're in your 20s, you're so self-revolved. And now it's so wonderful. The reason that service works is one of our worst fears, fears as human beings is social rejection. And so literally being cast out of the proverbial tribe that we evolved in as early people. 
So what better way to avoid being cast out than to be indispensable to your tribe? And we do that. We become indispensable to our tribe by positively impacting them. So the reason we feel just as good as receiving good deeds from people as giving them is to do with this thing of like, if I give positively and impact the tribe positively, I am feeling more safe and secure in my community. And that's really powerful. So if you are feeling lonely, drawing yourself out of that and having this mindset of, okay, I know I'm not feeling great right now, but how can I help other people really works as an antidote to that self-isolation. And the very final pillar is self-connection. We can't connect well with other people till we connect with ourselves and blocking off time in that calendar to go for those walks or exercise or meditate and read and be on your own and comfortable with being on your own. And looking at your boundaries, do I really feel like going out tonight or would I feel more comfortable? Would I show up better for other people with some rest tonight and then be better for my kids tomorrow? It is a real thing that only happens when we have space to reflect that self-connection. You, if you're busy all the time, you never get that moment to go, hey, am I, um, am I overdoing it here? And I share in the book about you know, my life in Dubai was very manic and not taking that time. And how greatly improved my connection to quality of life is now by having those moments. So those are the five pillars to recap. Rapport, commonalities connect, vulnerability, service, and finally, self-connection. It's a really interesting angle on that sort of whole, and I'm relating it from Dubai as well, about this time to self-reflect. Because you know, I know pre-pandemic, which I, I call it, you'd be out, you know, three, four times a week to events, doing this, maybe, maybe even more. And then pandemic stopped all that. And it was kind of like a reboot. And then it was like, okay, what do you actually want to go to? And now if I do anything, I'll commit to something once a week. And if that works, if it brings something that I want to do, or it adds service to one of my clients or something like that, then I'll do it. Otherwise, so comfortable saying no so comfortable. And I, I, I thought it was an age thing as well. Yes, it totally is an age thing. I think our social stamina changes with age, but I think you're totally um, onto something there. You know, I always say in the book, it is possible to be surrounded by people and to have those people make you feel more alone. And what we find is dating apps, superficial connection, transactional relationships, don't serve to make us feel more connected. They serve sometimes to make us feel more alone. So it's thinking about who are the people I'm going to be surrounded by when I say yes to an invitation. That's really important to me now as well, particularly going through the breakup that I mentioned to Kelly before, because these are the moments when you're grieving of any kind to like be even more self-reflective and compassionate to yourself. Yeah. What do you think is one of the biggest myths in maybe your industry or maybe a myth about loneliness or something that you'd kind of go, do you know what? I want to, I want to change this because I really want people to know it's not like this. I think one of the biggest myths is that lonely people can just solve their loneliness by going out to connect with people. What we know is that the lonely brain self-isolates more and it becomes a spiral mm-hmm. and the lonely brain becomes more suspicious of threats. So then it holds people to a higher standard. then of course, those people can't match those standards and then they feel let down again. So the key to help lonely people be less lonely is not telling the lonely person to go out and socialize. It's actually the rest of us as being members of the tribe. Mm. Looking at people who are being left behind 
actively being there for them, actively trying to be in contact with them, journeying with them at the space that they can do that. So they're not feeling good. Don't invite them to fancy restaurant if you want to see them. Maybe ask them to your house where they can be comfortable and things like that. And just being patient with the people in our lives that are kind of isolating. Was it a time in your life that you felt really lonely? Yeah, many times. And as you read further in the book, you'll hear that. I mean, I think definitely when mum got the diagnosis, when I when mum first had the stroke, there were six months before I moved back to Australia from Dubai. And that six months was really difficult. So I was going into work every day, knowing at the back of my mind, my mum was really ill and having to talk about Britney Spears or whoever on the radio. And be high and, energy. And high energy. And there was that huge lack of, of, there was a huge disconnection internally between what I was doing on air and how I was feeling and then feeling this guilt and obligation that I should also be showing up. I mean, me now, if this was, if I had a sick parent now, I'd just be like, not the rest of the calendar gets cancelled. Like I need to just reserve my energy. But you don't have necessarily have those skills in your early 20s. At least I didn't. And that was very isolating because I, even when I moved back to Australia that you read about in the book, when I was cleaning my mother's hoard, my mom has hoarding disorder, which is a mental disorder. And I became completely isolated by the act of cleaning the hoard. And there was a moment when I realized, like, I just said to myself, this is the lonely brain self-isolating. No other person at 30 has a mother in a wheelchair and a father in the grave. And you are completely alone in this experience and no one can understand you. Now, I was meant to have that experience. It was really humbling. And I've now realized that experience has helped me to be there for my friends who later in life, 35, 36, their parents have started to get ill. It just happened. My sister and I say this to each other all the time. It just happened to us earlier than other people because mom and dad had us late. But it will happen to everyone that your parents will get older. And depending on that relationship with your parents, you'll have to step in in some way and step up. But at that time, I felt so alone because, of course, if I was invited out for dinner and I talked about what was on my mind, which was that my mum is verbally abusing me because she has dementia, you know, you're a total Debbie Downer. You don't get invited out again. (laughs) And repatriating back to Perth as well, people already had their friends. I talk about this in the chapter on expats. They don't want to invite you around anyway. You're a social threat to them. You're from, you know, and I talk about the science behind this in the book. You're what's considered a social threat. So that was very, very lonely, very lonely, much more than any breakup or anything else I've ever been through was that. What were a couple of the things that you did that helped you manage it? Because it's not a case of overcoming it, but just helped you manage Uh it. So the first thing I did was I actually thought I was borderline depressed. So I went to the GP, which is, essentially asking for help. I didn't see it that way. I just couldn't stop crying all the time. And I did the depression survey and he said, you're not depressed. You just need to go back to a city where you can do what you love. And that stopped, that statement alone stopped so much self-loathing because I remember, so this is another thing, lonely people, you know, you have self-esteem issues. You start loathing yourself. And I realized, oh, you're not a horrible superficial person that doesn't like Perth because you're not known here. You don't have the profile you had to buy. I'd been beating myself up on it. You're actually a creative. So it helped me to identify, I don't care if no one knows who I am, but I have to create. Mm. So it allowed me to start to self-connect, get to know myself better from 
that point when I got to Singapore, I started therapy. And so I think the first thing was asking for help, learning the science of this stuff. Once you learn the science of loneliness, as you'll read in the book, you will stop beating yourself up for being lonely. You'll realize it's a unifying common human experience where we will all experience loneliness on a spectrum once, at least once in our lives. Mm. So that stopped me feeling even more alone because I was like, well, this is normal. Everyone experiences the fight or flight that comes with loneliness because you literally perceive yourself to be rejected from the tribe. So that kicks in. And I think those three things, asking for help, Mm -hmm. going to therapy to learn more about yourself and studying the science of whatever you're experiencing will help you gain some rationality over that. Those were the three things. Amazing. So next week, you're going out with your friend. You're going to plan the next five years goals because you've achieved so much since 2019. What are some of those things that are going to be on those goal lists for you? So definitely book number two, because I loved writing the book. So here's the thing. This book, once I finish it, I was so exhausted. I was like, I don't care if it gets published or we publish it or not. I was like, I actually don't want to go through the horror of possibly being trolled over this. I'm happy if we don't publish it, but we end up, thankfully we did. And I actually liked the act of writing it. So even if no one reads the next one, I would still write it. So definitely book two. Yeah. Um, I definitely think personal life goals, things like freezing my eggs, leaning into this idea of really living for me. Like I choose me. I spent a lot of time in my last relationship. I think we've all experienced this where you're kind of living for the other person and trying to make the other person happy. It's really liberating to be a 38-year-old single woman and go, oh my gosh, I have no obligations except to myself. Wow. Besides, of course, my mum, but she's stable now. That's really powerful. I definitely think I want to buy property in Singapore. I have an apartment in Australia I bought with my Dubai money, but I never got to furnish it. And I really like furnishing places. So I really want something that I can renovate and nest in and furnish. So I think those are the major ones for sure. I love it. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that you want to kind of close up by saying to someone before you share how people can find you and how they can buy your book? Sure. I just want to say to each and every one of you, whatever, you're obviously listening to Kelly's podcast because you want to get better. Maybe you run a business. Know that every experience you're having you are not alone. And in order to not feel that loneliness, sometimes it just takes to be vulnerable and share that with someone around you who's a trusted connection. I didn't used to do that. I used to pretend I was invulnerable. And that's a very lonely place to be. Mm. So take that risk with somebody you trust and share what you're going through. And most likely it will reveal that you are not alone. Love that. And how can people find you? Sure. You can find the book Secret Pandemic um, on Amazon, Delivers to Dubai. Uh, You can find me on LinkedIn, um, just put Simone Heng into LinkedIn, and also on Instagram at the same place and TikTok at the same place. We will leave in the show notes all the details so you can click on the links. I have loved connecting with you or reconnecting because, you know, there's a thing with social media that you sort of still see what people are doing, but it's surface level. You know, so I really does give me so much joy to see how you you're thriving and evolving. And what you find after 35, um, for me, is that a lot of your peers they do settle down and have kids, and those women that are still out there 
wanting to have that growth because growth is what makes us happy in life, not achieving the destination. When you see the women that are doing that, that gives me great joy. And so it's still a joy watching you. And thank you for making this a deeper connection. Love it, love it, love it. Until next time, until that glass of champagne in Dubai Airport <laughs> when you're coming through or on a speaking gig in Singapore, who knows? Um, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. Thank you both. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This is how more people can hear about the amazing stories and guests that we have on here. Even better, you can also share this on social media. Screenshot it and share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or on your Twitter account. The more people that see these episodes, the more awareness it brings to small businesses and those that are trying to make an impact and difference. And if you want to know more about how you can develop your personal brand, then check out our new website, Brand New Creators, designed by our in-house team. And we are in the business of helping you to increase your online visibility, build industry authority, lead change, motivate and profit. Who doesn't want that? I look forward to speaking to you soon. Until next time. Bye.